Hey, we're starting a new series today. Can you tell? So this is going to be a little bit different. I talked with some folks on Wednesday. I've been thinking about this. It coincides with a, another project that I've been working on with a friend of mine. Um, and, and so for the next few weeks and, and maybe longer, we'll see how it goes and see how, how you respond and like it. But we're going to do something that's going to be maybe a little bit more like Sunday school and maybe a little bit less like normal church. And so we'll try it for a few weeks. We're going we're gonna to start diving a little bit deeper into some some theological concepts, theological foundations. Um, it, it's, we're going to work on constructing a, a Christ-centered theological framework. Um, so it's going to be less immediately practical, um, less going through a book of the Bible. Um, it's going to be maybe a little bit more intellectual for a little while, um, but I think it's going to help us with some of the big picture questions of theology, give us some, some foundations and some framework to, to think about the Bible and think about life and Christianity within a framework of a Christ-centered theology. Um, and so I, as the weeks go by, I want your, your feedback on some of this because it's going to be a little bit different. Some of it's going to be maybe a little interactive. I'm going to ask questions and you can provide answers and all that. Um, if you like it, let me know. If you really don't like it, let me know. It's sort of an experiment as, as we do this, but um, I think maybe giving some, some hooks. So it's, it, it might feel a little bit more like school, a little bit more like class, a little bit like Sunday school. So uh, we don't have Sunday school here, so maybe some of you will, will like that, but... Um, you know, as the weeks, we'll give it a couple of weeks, but as the weeks progress, if you like it, if you don't, give me your feedback and let me know, because I, I don't want to, you know, sit up here and bore you if it's stuff that you're not really interested in, but, but I think it's important, and I think it's helpful, um, and I hope you do too, and I'll try to keep it interesting, but just wanted to, wanted to start up, give you that sort of upfront as we, as we dive into this. We're going to be talking about what we believe. So we're going to start really, really basic today, really, really basic. We're going to look at two basic questions. What is theology, and where do we start? What is theology, and where do we start? So let's start with the first question. What is theology? This is, like I said, I want this to be a little interactive. Uh, so somebody tell me. There's, the, you know, don't worry about you. You're not being recorded, okay? Just me. Um, so tell me what you think. Uh, give me a definition of theology. You can just shout it out. Or raise your hand, whatever you want. Study of religion? Good. Anybody else? Study of God and the things of God? All right, very good. So, that's right. Theology. It, it's one word, but it comes from two Greek words. It comes from theos, which means God, with logos, which is word or logic or study. Put those together, and we get the study of God. Theology is the study of God. Sort of like biology, right? Bios means life. Logos is the study of life. Science, biologists look at life. They look at cells and animals and plants. They study life. Geology is geo. It's earth. Geologists study the earth. They look at rocks and things of, of the planet. Uh, psychology comes from the Greek psyche, which is our mind or our life. It's the study of the mind. Um, Theology, oh, the typo there, uh, I should say theos, the, my autocorrect doesn't like Greek words, um, it's the study of God, the study of God. So I've got another question for you, who does theology? You can answer that. 
What? Everybody. Good answer. You guys are good. All right, we're good. It's not just theologians, right? Theology is for more than just professional theologians. Uh, You don't have to go to school to do theology. As a matter of fact, anytime anyone makes a statement about God, they're doing theology. Anytime anyone makes a statement about God, they are doing theology. They're talking about God. So the question is not if we do theology. Anytime we talk about God, we're doing theology. The question is whether we do it well or whether we do it badly. Whether we're, we're talking about God in a way that is consistent with how he's revealed himself to us or whether we're saying things about God that are untrue. And so it's not if we do theology. So you are all theologians. When you, when you come here, when you listen to sermons, when you pray, when you talk about God with your friends and your family, when you read scriptures or, or, or any of that, you're doing theology. You're engaging in theological work. So everyone in here is a theologian. Even if you didn't go to school for it, even if you don't have a degree in it, you're a theologian whenever you talk about God. And so in this, <clears throat> in this series, I want to I help give us a framework that will allow us to do it well, to talk about God rightly. So, what is theology? It's the study of God. Who does theology? Anybody who talks about God. So the next question is how. How can we study God? Right? Biologists, they can go out and they can find plants and animals and they can look at them. They can take cells and put them under a microscope and examine them. They can do you know, chemistry to find out the, chemi- you know, the, the chemical makeup of these different things. Geologists can look at rocks, they can crack them open, and they can look at the, the, the mineral composition, and they can compare it. You know, uh, those who do, um, you know, other kinds of science, they, they have specimens that they can examine. But how do we do theology? Because God is a non-physical being, right? We believe that God is a spirit. So, so God can't be measured, Right? We can't take a tape measure and measure God. We can't put God under a microscope and see what God is made of. We can't analyze God's makeup with mass spectrometry. How do we study God? Anybody have an answer? Ah, all right, I see somebody tapping their Bible. It's a good answer. The way that we study God, the only way that we can study God is through Revelation. Revelation. So all of you can take your Bibles and turn to the very last book. I'm just kidding. Not that Revelation. Although, although the book of Revelation in the Bible is an example of Revelation, I'm not just talking about the last book in your Bible. Revelation is God's act of revealing God's self. In order for us to study God, God must first reveal God's self to us. God, does that make sense, right? We, because we can't measure, because we can't test, because we can't experiment upon God, God must somehow make God's self known to us in order for us to study. Um, and so over the, over the centuries, theologians and philosophers have identified several different sources of revelation. Several different sources of revelation. Help me name some. What are some sources of revelation? Somebody mentioned one earlier. They tapped on their Bible. The Bible. The Bible is a source of revelation. It's one way that we can learn about God. What else? By His Word. word. Very good. The world around us. 
Anything else? There you go. Jesus. Very good. Very good. Okay. So when, we, when theologians and philosophers talk about sources of revelation, there are two general categories that they talk about. There is general or natural revelation, and then there is special revelation. There's general or natural revelation, and then there's special revelation. Um, so general or natural revelation refers to the way that God has revealed God's self to us in the world around us. Through creation. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, said this explicitly. He said, Ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things that are what? Made. Through the things that are made. In other words, what Paul is saying is that creation itself testifies to the eternal power and divine nature of God. In other words, we can't see God physically, we can't measure God, but we can look at creation, and creation bears witness to the fact, Paul says, that there is a creator. Creation bears witness to the fact that there is a creator. The things that have been made reveal God's divine power his eternal power, and his divine nature. Even though they're invisible, we can see them. And so um, one of the things that's true about general revelation or natural revelation is that it's universally accessible. It's universally accessible. Everybody can know something about God because God has revealed himself generally through creation. This is why Paul says later in in that first chapter to the Romans, that all of humanity is without excuse because we all know, somewhere inside, we all know that there's a creator because creation testifies to a creator, right? As a a silly example, you know, I'm wearing a watch. This watch didn't just come out of nowhere. The fact that this watch exists testifies to the fact that there is a watch maker somewhere, right? That's what creation, creation testifies to a Creator, And because of that, all people know that there is some sort of divine power, some sort of divine creative existence out there. So creation itself testifies to God. It is a, an expression of God's revelation. In Psalms, we read, the heavens declare the glory of God. Right, uh, we, we that in the heavens and in all of creation, it, it somehow speaks to us. And I think that's why many people go to to be in nature. And many of you have experienced this. When you're in nature, when you're, when you're walking through you know, the beauty of creation, it's an awe-inspiring experience, isn't it? It's sort of transcendent. When you're, you know, when's the last time you've been out in nature away from you know, the hustle and bustle of, of the city life and traffic and all of that, and you've just been surrounded by the trees and, and, and ponds and lakes and mountains and all that, and so, you, know, you feel something. And I think this is why even non-believers, non-Christians, they feel something in nature. I think that's because nature is a self-expression of God. It came about through the Word of God. We read in, in the book of Genesis that in the beginning, God spoke into creation. So creation is the Word of God in some sense. Uh, theologians throughout history have often talked about what's called the book of nature, that, that nature is, is itself a book by which we can learn some things about God. 
Not everything. We can't learn everything about God through, through nature and through creation, but we can learn some things about what God is like. God is a God of beauty, right? Creation testifies to God's beauty. God is a God of order. The creation is very ordered. God is a God of order. There's logic to creation. And, and so all of these things testify to different attributes of, of, of what God is like. And not only do we have creation, but we also have uh, philosophy. There, there are a lot of what are called philosophical proofs for the existence of God. Philosophical proof for the existence of God. And I won't go too deep into this um, right now, but, but ph- philosophers and theologians have noted that, that things like the existence of morality testifies to the existence of a moral God, that the, the general fact that most people throughout history and across time have had very similar understandings of morality, with, with some exceptions, but for the most part, murder is pretty universally condemned among most cultures and religions, that this, this general sense of morality among people testifies to the fact that there's probably some sort of moral lawgiver who has endued us that we, that we recognize that. The existence of beauty or the existence of logic or the existence of order for, for many philosophers has been proof that there is a divine being out there that has that have set things in order and with logic and full of beauty. And so there are philosophers, philosophers, philosophers who have looked at these things and have said the existence of these things is evidence that there is at least some kind of God out there. Now, now what that God is like, uh, how that God interacts with humanity, all of that, we, it, it, philosophy doesn't tell us, but it does, we, we can make a case that there is at least some divine being that exists out there that created all of this and created a world where, more, where morality and order and logic and beauty exists. Not if this is making just a little bit of sense. Some sense. Okay, some sense. Okay, um, so this is general or natural revelation. It's one of the ways that God has revealed God's self to us. But it's not the only way that God has revealed God's self to us. There is also special revelation. Special revelation. This is where God has revealed God's self uniquely and particularly to different individuals and groups at different times. So God... It's not something that's, that's universally accessible, at least not at first, but God shows up and reveals something about God's self to an individual or to a group at a particular point in history. So every, when you read through your Bible, there are lots of examples of special revelation. When God showed up to Abraham in the book of Genesis and said, I am going to be your God and I'm going to make a covenant with you, at that time, God wasn't doing this with all of the people who were alive on earth at the time. It was special. It was unique in particular to Abraham. When Moses experienced God in the burning bush in the book of Exodus, this is an example of special revelation. It was unique in particular to Moses at that time. When God gave visions and messages to the prophets of Israel, those were unique in particular to the prophets who then gave that revelation to particular groups of people. So we see that God gives special revelation to individuals and groups, and then from there, that special revelation disseminates out, which leads us now to Scripture. Scripture, we believe, Christians believe that Scripture is God's written self-revelation. 
Scripture was initially special revelation given to individuals and particular groups that was then written down, and now Scripture is, in a sense, general revelation, right? Because anybody who can read can pick up Scriptures and learn something about God. So it's special revelation that has become, in a sense, general revelation. It's God's written self-revelation. In other words, we can learn about God by reading Scripture. God has chosen to reveal God's self by through this means of Scripture that, that Christians believe is divinely inspired. Christians don't believe that the Bible is just some book that humans wrote all on their own, that it is, in some sense, inspired by God, and we get that from Scripture itself. Paul, writing a letter to Timothy, says this. He says, all Scripture is what? Inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, what does this mean? Did God sit down with a, a, a stylus and a tablet and write out the Bible? Did he sit down behind a typewriter or a computer and, and write the Bible himself and then mail it to people? No. <laughs> That's not how it worked. Um, the Bible, you, you may know this, you may not, the, Christians don't look at the Bible the same way that Muslims look at the Quran. Muslims believe the Quran was dictated to the Prophet Muhammad word for word, verbatim. That's generally not how most Christians understand the Bible. We, we, we believe it's divinely inspired, but, but we also believe that the various books of the Bible uh, had human authors as well as divine inspiration. The, uh, the Peter tells us that men of God wrote the Bible as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, that in some combination of, of, of God speaking to these human authors, and that's why when you read the Bible, there are different voices, right? Paul's letters sound different than, than Peter's letters, which sounds different than Matthew's gospel, which sounds different than, than uh, the, you know, the writings of Isaiah. There are different human voices, and so we have different vocabularies and voices and, and, and styles because God didn't just tell them word for word what to write. He, he worked within them to create something that was both a human project as well as divinely inspired, bearing the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we'll... I have no idea what that was, but hey, um, I, I don't think that was a timer, right? I, I, still, I still have a little bit of time left. Um, okay. So we'll, we'll talk more, we'll get into more depth on theories of inspiration at some point uh, in the future. <laughs> um, I didn't. No, I promise. I promise. No, I'm just. <laughs> um, so, to recap, focus. All right. What is theology? It's the study of God. Who does theology? All of us. How can we study God? Revelation. Two kinds of two categories of revelation: general revelation, special revelation. General revelation, creation. Special revelation, God showing up uniquely and particularly, including Scripture, which is now available to all of us, is in some sense uh, inspired by God. There's one other source of revelation, and we mentioned it earlier, uh, that, that reveals God to us. That source of revelation is Jesus. Jesus himself is a unique source of God's revelation. To, to illustrate this, we'll look at Jesus' own words. Here's what he said while he was gathered together with some of his uh, closest followers before he was going to be crucified. 
His followers were asking him some questions, and Jesus responds. So Thomas asks him, uh, the, the apostle Thomas asks Jesus, how can we know the way? Uh, in John chapter 14, Jesus responds. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we see that Jesus is a unique source of revelation. Not only that, Jesus says, if you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In other words, Jesus is saying somehow within himself, they have come to know God in a unique way, in a way that nobody else had never known God before in Jesus, that Jesus himself was a revelation, an expression of God. Uh, Then one of the other disciples asks him a question. Philip, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus is a unique, special revelation of God that nobody else had ever experienced before. It goes beyond what had been written in Scripture at that point, that that Jesus embodied a self-revelation of God. We saw this a few weeks ago when we looked uh, at the incarnation, right, in John chapter 1. The incarnation, that the Word of God put on flesh. This self-revelation of God dwelt inside of a body and revealed God in a unique way. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. Not me, but Jesus, right? This is Jesus talking. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, because Jesus is a unique revelation of God, God's self-revelation. So let's review. We'll do this again. What is theology? Study of God. Who does theology? Everybody. How do we study God? Revelation. What are the sources of revelation? Two categories. General special. Okay, so that leads us to a question now. We've got all of these different sources of revelation. Where do we start? Where do we start to study God? We've got all of these different categories that we've already talked about. And throughout history, different theologians have started in different places, right? Some theologians have started with nature. They've started with general revelation, and they've made a case from there Going, starting really broad and working narrowly towards God. And so you'll have theologians and philosophers who will start with creation or nature or who will start with logic and morality and, and, and philosophy. And from there, they'll start really broad and they'll narrow, 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 narrow down until they get to Jesus. Others have started with Scripture. They start in the beginning, right? And, and that makes sense. Uh, who was it? Uh, start in the very beginning. It's a very good place. Who is that? Mary Poppins? No. Sound of Music. There it is. Um, So some people take, you know, Genesis. They start in Genesis, and they work their way through because, um, and and that's that's a technique. There's there's merit for that. There's merit for starting Christian. But I'm going to make the case, starting next week, that Christian theology starts with Jesus. Now, this is going to raise some questions for you. How do we start with Jesus without starting with the Bible? Come back next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you 
that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have chosen to make yourself known in a way that we can know you. Lord, you have called us to worship you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Lord, as we embark upon this series to to study you uniquely and especially with our mind, we pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to each one of us through your spirit, through your word, through creation. We pray that you would help us come to know you, that we may, that, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would know who you are, what you're like, what you've done, and who you've called us to be. As we embark upon this, help us to, to remember that this is not simply a mental exercise, that this isn't just primarily for, for information, but that ultimately this is for transformation, that as we study with our minds, it will, it will transform our hearts and, and eventually lead to transformed lives. Help us not to lose sight of that in this project. More than anything, God, thank you for loving us enough to reveal yourself to us in all of these different ways, but most especially through your son, Jesus Christ, that we could enter into a unique, loving relationship with you through him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.